0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, now, seems like every time I turn on the TV, I'm seeing Bob Woodward on one show or another. He's out there promoting his audiobook of Donald Trump tapes. Uh, here's the latest response from the foreign president, and as he fully understands, Bob Woodward never got my permission to release tapes of my various interviews with him. Those tapes were allowed only for purposes of making sure that he got my quotes and statements correct for the written word, in other words, for his, nevertheless, highly inaccurate book. Uh, tapes are much better than the book, at least if they were not bludgeoned to death by him to make me look as bad as possible. But he and his publisher had no right to use my VOICE, all caps, or them. But, of course, they were on the record, and I don't think there's going to be any legal action, or if there is, it's not going to mean anything. So I was just actually seeing Woodward on the TV this morning um, asking Trump about, well, Trump brought up his famous statement about, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and people would still support me, okay? And he said, you know, I got a lot of heat for that, but now everyone says I'm right, given the intensity of the support among many Republicans for Donald Trump. Uh, In another interview, uh, Woodward talked about how he had obtained the, I didn't know there were this many, 27 letters that Kim Jong-un sent to Trump during his presidency. Uh, Woodward said, if you read through them, you'd kind of laugh. Because Kim is wooing Trump in a very unsophisticated way and says, Well, if we meet again, it will be out of a fantasy film, which I guess is the way Kim thought of it, and maybe to a certain extent, Trump did. Uh, He said, uh, Woodward said the letters were almost more comic than serious diplomacy coming from one of the most awful dictators. On the globe. I think everybody can agree with that last statement. Uh, I got uh, into the podcast yesterday, the breaking news about Kanye being dropped by Adidas. It turns out that that move alone, because Adidas was marketing uh, the Yeezy brand of sneakers, is going to cost the company as much as $250 million this year alone. Now, even a global giant like Adidas, that's a significant hit. So there must have been unbelievable pressure. Not to mention the sheer stupidity, shall we say, of Kanye putting out that video saying, you know, I can say any anti-Semitic S I want, and what's Adidas going to do about it? Well, we found out. Here's the statement. Adidas does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech. Ye's recent comments and actions have been unacceptable, hateful, and dangerous. And they violate the company's values of diversity and inclusion, mutual respect, and fairness. And you know who has an op-ed on this? Ari Emanuel, who's the CEO of Endeavor, one of the biggest talent agencies anywhere, and which has dropped Kanye West as a client. And he writes for the Financial Times, Some of West's behavior has been dismissed over time, citing mental illness, given that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after being hospitalized in 2016. However, mental illness is not an excuse for racism, hatred, or anti-Semitism. Millions of people affected by mental illness do not perpetuate hateful ideologies. Others brush his comments off as just words, but hateful words far too easily become hateful actions. Yeah, remember the uh, guy who shot up the uh, synagogue in the Pittsburgh area. Um, Those who continue to do business with West are giving his misguided hate an audience. There should be no tolerance anywhere for West's anti-Semitism, goes on to say, silence and inaction are not an option. You know, raises this question. Um, Look, obviously, this is one of the most popular rappers on the planet. And yet, Spotify hasn't dropped his music. Other music services haven't dropped his songs. I'm not saying they should. Maybe people have a right to listen to that music. It's kind of like famous artists in history, you know, who have reprehensible views or opinions or personal lives. But they're making money. They continue to make money off Kanye. Candace Owens... Uh, went on a kind of a series of Twitter rants. Uh, she is married to the CEO of Parler, which is the social media app that, by sheer coincidence, I'm sure, uh, Kanye is in the process of acquiring. And she writes, as a company, Adidas has the, every right to sever ties with whomever. That said, they better pay Ye. We're not going to witness Ye's intellectual property be stolen and his life bankrupted while being told black people need to shut up about it or suffer the same consequences. What do you mean they have to pay him? Uh, If there's any settlement, I mean, they're both going to lose money. That's what's happening. Uh, She says what's happening to Ye is wrong. She says to her critics, some of you guys must have forgot I am black. I will not be silenced. I will not be threatened, least of all for something I did not do or say. Stop threatening other black artists and commentators. She says she's received threats. Um, I don't like anybody receiving threats, of, co- of course. Corporations can dissociate from Ye, but will not steal from him. By the way, Megan Kelly, my one-time uh, colleague and friend at Fox, uh, had a very moving tribute on her Sirius XN show to her sister, who died suddenly over the weekend from a heart attack. And she had had health issues, but this was not expected. And there was just a certain rawness, and emotion to the way that she remembered her sister that reminds us that we're all human and we all have families. And she talked about, you know, hug the people who are close to you because you never know how much time they have left. And I just thought, you know, Megan also talked about how it was sort of cathartic for her to go back, go back to work. Uh, that's what her sister would have wanted. That... Um, you know, for a couple of hours each day, it would take her mind off the family tragedy. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. It's not easy to talk about these things, and she did it, and she did it right away. And, you know, um, great sympathy for Megan over her loss. Hey, let's pause right there. The Buzz Meter continues right after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. All right. I know you've all been waiting to hear story number one, the Oz-Fetterman debate. Now, when it first began in the opening minutes and John Fetterman came out, and said, you know, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. I suffered a stroke. You're going to see some of the effects of that tonight. I'll mush two words together or I will stumble. But I got down. I got knocked down. I got back up, uh, just like many of you facing health challenges. And I thought, well, you know, this is what he needed. Uh, If he can just sort of not fall off the stage, then many Democrats and others who were looking for a reason to vote for him, who would ordinarily support the Democratic nominee in that Pennsylvania Senate race will feel reassured. But then the wheels just fell off. It was an absolute train wreck. How and why anybody in Fetterman's campaign thought that putting him up against Dr. Oz for an hour, even with the closed captioning, was a good idea is absolutely beyond me. absolute political malpractice. Yes, he would have taken a lot of heat for not debating, but this may have given the election uh, to Mehmet Oz who I'll talk about in a moment as well. And, and the real clear politics average going into this had Fetterman, It's a statistical tie, up by 1.3%. I can't imagine that's not going to swing. And there's only two weeks left. And, and, you know, before I even get into who said what, the I led media buzz with this one day, that week, that Sunday, because it was so outrageous that Dasha Burns of MSNBC and NBC Who did that interview, first in-person interview, but with closed captioning, with John Fetterman, where, you know, you could certainly see him stumble. And then had the audacity to come out and say, you know, I talked to him beforehand without closed captioning, and it was very hard for him to make small talk. And she got eviscerated by all these liberal journalists and commentators who said, no, she inserted herself in the story. She had no right to say that. She was attacking him. This is vicious. This is ableism. Uh, she's bad at small talk. You know, and you have people like Cara Swisher and Rebecca Tracer coming out and trashing Dasha Burns. Well, Dasha Burns was restrained in her comments. All she said was she was honest. She told the truth. And the people who came out and trashed her for giving a brief, honest assessment, she wasn't attacking Fetterman. She was doing her job as a correspondent. The people who came out and attacked her owe her an apology because it probably raised expectations for what Fetterman could do. And he couldn't do much. Look, he's a recovering stroke victim. I have all the sympathy in the world for him. But he had one job last night, which is to demonstrate a certain level of fitness for the job of senator. Now, look, I'm sure by January, February, he'll be, you know, much further along in his recovery. But every time he couldn't find the words or couldn't... I mean, he let a lot of opportunities go to pivot and attack Oz over things like Social Security. And Oz didn't have a great debate either. I'll get into that. But it was just a train wreck. It was painful to watch. It was even if you like John Fetterman, even if you agree with him politically, even if you think it's unfair to focus so heavily on whether or not he can stand up there and do the rapid fire, you know, 30-second rebuttal, 15-second rebuttal kind of thing. I'm sorry. It was just absolutely awful to watch. Um, Now, as far as Oz goes, I thought he was condescending at times, especially when he was on the stage with Fetterman and said, Well, I guess that was difficult for you to understand, so I'll repeat it, an obvious effort to his stroke-induced struggles. And Oz. here's the perfect example of what happened. The moderators, by the way, missed a lot of opportunities to pin down these candidates. For example, they kept asking Oz about whether he would support, I must have asked three times, would he support Lindsey Graham's federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks while leaving in place the states that want to completely ban it. And Oz at first ducked, and then he uttered this soundbite that is going to be used against him. I want women, doctors, local political leaders letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive to put forward the best ideas so states can decide for themselves. Okay, that's one place where Fetterman has a clear position. Women have a right to abortion. He just wants to reinstate Roe to bring back the equivalent of Roe v. Wade. So he took a lot of heat on that. But the point I was going to make was each the moderators, you know, they asked Oz about uh the 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 quack products he used to promote on his television show, but didn't give any examples. He could just say, well I wasn't making any money by selling weight loss projects. But the 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 really, to me, this was it. The moderators had an example for each of them how they had flip-flopped on fracking. They had an earlier comment by Oz saying, of course I'm against fracking, and his current position, I'm for fracking, which is a very popular position to take now in Pennsylvania. They had previous comments by Fetterman, I'm against fracking, and then his current position, I'm totally for fracking. So they ask Oz, and he completely ignores the previous statement and just restates, I'm for fracking now. Completely, even though they had him dead to rights, completely ignored it. Then Fetterman essentially tried to do the same thing. But when Fetterman tried to do the same thing, it was his worst moment of the night, because he wasn't quite sure how to handle it. And he said, I do support fracking, I, I, I support fracking, and I stand, I support fracking. It was just a cringeworthy moment. But Oz had just done the same thing, except in a much smoother way. Look, I mean, as a television doctor for years, he's very smooth in front of the camera. Clearly, he, his approach was every answer, or at least every other answer, he was going to call Fetterman either extreme or radical or both. It was just, you know, hammering home, extreme, Radical, radical, extreme. And he was able to attack Fetterman's record as, as a small town mayor and so forth. And Fetterman didn't really have the verbal dexterity to defend himself very well uh, or to turn around and criticize Oz. He did say, look, Oz has 10 homes and he's using New Jersey, um, but he kind of ran out of gas. Sometimes he didn't even use up his whole time. So uh, just to give you a little taste of the coverage, New York Times news story. Fetterman's words were frequently halting, and it was apparent when he was delayed in either reading or reaching for a phrase or word. But he was also fluent enough to present his democratic vision for the state. Oz, um, ah, so here's another example: Oz was asked about supporting Donald Trump. And he ducked and he said, I'll support whoever the nominee is. And there was one case where the moderators followed up and he said, yes, I will support Donald Trump, which he was trying not to say, because I guess he was trying not to turn over, turn off, I should say. Now I sound like I'm reaching for words, that he was trying not to turn off swing voters who might not be fans of the former president. Washington Post, uh... Throughout the 60-minute debate, Fetterman's speech was halting. He mispronounced words and tripped over phrases. Then we get to the takeaways. You know, five takeaways, six takeaways. New York Times takeaway. Um, Three times, Oz was asked whether he would support a federal ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Three times, he declined to give a straight answer, but then he did give the answer that I read to you earlier. Okay, Uh, Washington Post. One of the takeaways. It was a rough night, Fetterman sought to address what he called the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. Um, But while Oz's campaign has pointed to Fetterman's health in the past, the GOP nominee clearly wagered he didn't need to focus on that at all. Viewers would, you know, see for themselves. For Fetterman, the most striking response was on hydraulic fracking. Okay, we went through that. I was able to offer that to you. Rich Lowry, National Review, the night exposed as a ridiculous lie, the contention made repeatedly by Fetterman and his allies, that he just has trouble with a word here or there. Now, everyone in Pennsylvania can see what they were trying to hide. The Republicans' odds of winning the Senate just went up. And I can't argue with that conclusion. By the way, uh, Fetterman's wife, Giselle, who knows him obviously better than anyone, was so critical of of Dasha Burns, that she said that there should be consequences for her at NBC. Well, now we see what she was talking about. Story number two, this is a colossal embarrassment for Joe Biden. That also includes a lie. The progressive caucus on the Hill, having thoroughly embarrassed the president, a little over two weeks before the election, by putting out a letter questioning uh, his handling of Ukraine. The guy needs this like he needs a hole in the head. Well, now the caucus has withdrawn the letter. It was signed by 30 House liberals. It was sent to the White House on Monday, urging Biden to negotiate directly with Russia, with Putin, to end the war in Ukraine. And the chair of this progressive caucus, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, just got fierce pushback from many Democrats, not to mention Ukrainian officials, who said it was not, it's not realistic to negotiate with Putin, who is threatening to use tactical nuclear weapons. And, you know, creates more pressure on Biden as he's trying to get support to help Ukraine, not to mention, you know, to have his party not be wiped out in the midterms. So yesterday, Jaya Powell said the letter had been drafted several months ago and was, quote, released by staff without vetting. And as soon as I saw that, I said, that cannot be true. That must be total BS, because there's no way on earth that gets released by the staff without the chairwoman of the progressive caucus knowing about it. She says, oh, I accept responsibility for this, created the unfortunate appearance that Democrats are somehow aligned with Republicans who try to pull the blah, 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 blah. Then we go, Bingo. A source familiar with the situation told Politico that Pell personally approved the letter's release on Monday. So that is really crappy. It's classless and it's a falsehood. She tried to sort of foist it off as being a staff error. Oh, I didn't know about this. The staff went rogue when she personally approved it. My instinct was right. And so it ends up being a double embarrassment for Biden. The original letter and then the withdrawal of it you know, creates another story. Story number three. I was really struck uh, yesterday by President Biden rolling up his sleeve, getting his COVID booster shot, and giving a speech about how important it is for Americans to go out and get this booster shot. Now, on the substance of it, what's driving this, because this is the last thing on the planet that Biden wants to be talking about two weeks before the midterms. This is the guy who a couple months ago said the pandemic is over. Well, not so much. That turns out to be, on a much lower level of magnitude, you know, his mission accomplished moment. Pandemic is over, but it's not. As the president said yesterday, 350 people a day, on average, are still dying from COVID. And a certain number are hospitalized. It's certainly way down from where it was. But why did he do it? Because the White House apparently has made the calculation that if more people don't get boosted, and by the way, you know, there's been a total loss of faith in the government on this, a complete and total loss by the partially discredited CDC. And I think most people are going to ignore this. And it's not going to do much good. It just reminded me of all those times when Biden would say the same thing. There's no politics here. Please get the vaccine. This is a vaccine that's specifically targeted to the Omicron variant. So in that sense, it would make sense to get it, because if you do get at the virus, you're further protected against the virus being, in most cases, very serious. You're more likely to have the milder symptoms, not in all cases. But they've been they, this thing has been out for a couple of months. It's as Biden said, it's available free of charge, tens of thousands of locations, um. But only about 8%, 8 8.5% of Americans have gotten it because people have tuned out. They've just tuned out. They don't, they're going about their lives. They've lost faith, I think, and you know, this idea of, oh, it's once a year. And, And Biden said, look, it's like getting a flu shot once a year, unless you're immunocompromised. And then it's a very different situation. Very different situation. Washington Post points out that a recent poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that half of Americans have heard little or nothing about the booster. Why? Because the administration hasn't talked about it. Why? Because it's a bad news story. It's a depressing story. So why would Biden bring up such a bummer of an issue? I mean, good luck getting more people to get this, but I don't think it's going to work. He said, get vaccinated, update your COVID vaccine. It's incredibly effective, but the truth is not enough people are getting it. They're worried that there's going to be this deadly winter surge. The problem is it might be a different variant than Omicron, in which case the booster may be outdated. A deadly winter surge that um, could really harm a lot of people. And that then, even though it's after the election, his own management of the vaccine program will come under heavy, heavy fire. Why didn't you plan for this? And, and so forth. Now we not only are facing this deadly winter surge, but a nasty flu season is predicted. And many young kids are being di- uh, diagnosed now with RSV. The president mentioned this too, respiratory infection and cause serious harm. I mean, really young kids, kids as young as two years old. And, Many of them have to be hospitalized and be put on oxygen. It's just awful. So it's a triple threat this winter. And that's why I think the president decided he had no choice, even though, you know, maybe it got overshadowed by everything else. But, you know, he got the booster when he was available to get it, when he was eligible to get it because he had had COVID a few months ago, as we all remember. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Uh, Number four, I talked yesterday at some length about the outrage of the Harvey Weinstein trial where his lawyer is saying, you know, all these women, they're lying. It was all consensual sex. It was all transactional sex. Yes, you know, why else would they want to have sex with this guy? But, you know, they thought they could advance their careers. And even attacking Gavin Newsom's wife, the first lady of California, who was an actress who claims that she was sexually assaulted um, by Weinstein back in 2005. So the development yesterday was the judge in the case is allowing one additional woman to testify. One of Weinstein's former assistants, her name is Rowena Chiu. She came forward with her allegation against against Weinstein when the Me Too movement first emerged. She worked as an assistant at Miramax, his company, in the 90s had only met Weinstein two times before she says he attempted to rape her on a business trip in 1998 at the Venice Film Festival. She said during a late night meeting to discuss scripts. I mean, this is the M.O. Weinstein asked her to massage him and then pushed her up against the bed, took off her tights before she managed to escape the room. So it was an attempted, well, it was an attempted rape is what it was. Weinstein denies this ever happened. Uh, so, the fact that she would be allowed to testify, I think, is pretty significant. Shortly after the alleged incident, Chiu confided in a colleague who was then 25. They escalated the issue at Miramax, hired a lawyer, and then were pressured into signing an NDA and got a monetary settlement. So, they took actions consistent with her story. Uh, Variety says it had reviewed the NDA. And then she went public. She said, screw the NDA. She stayed silent for 20 years, feeling for the safety of her family. 2019, she broke her silence with an op-ed for the New York Times. Then she broke the uh, NDA to speak to Variety in a wide-ranging interview after Weinstein had been convicted of rape and sexual assault in New York. So he's already convicted in New York. This is a trial in L.A. And, uh, needless to say, it would bolster the credibility, I think, of various other women who are going to be accused of just, you know, sleazy transactional sex uh, in this trial. Here's a woman who worked for him, supposed, you know, presumably had no agenda, said she'd only met him twice, and here he is, according to her account, trying to rape her. What motivation would she have to lie? And especially... She hired a lawyer and told somebody else and they pressed the issue at Miramax. Now you can say, well, she shouldn't have taken the settlement. She shouldn't have signed an NDA. She should have gone public. You know what? It's a really hard thing to go up against Harvey Weinstein in the 1990s um, before there was a Me Too movement when the odds are that many women wouldn't be believed when she probably would have lost her job. You know, it's easy to sit here at the benefit of hindsight. and would say, oh, this guy was a monster. Why didn't you expose him? But she did. It did take some courage, even though it was belated 20 years later, um, to take him on. And, you know, what is he going to do? Sue her for uh, violating the NDA? He's got much bigger problems to worry about. And finally, story number five. So I was talking about tapes, the Woodward tapes at the uh, top of the podcast. And it turns out There is a tape, which is now getting a lot of play, involving Donald Trump and Blake Masters. Blake Masters is the guy who is running for Senate from Arizona. He's another one of these Trump-backed conservatives. I just have to make this point again because it's such a botched job by the mainstream media. The media said, oh, Blake Masters, I mean, he is so extreme. There's no way he can win an election. Yeah, he can win a primary backed by Trump. But these guys are going to get clobbered, these guys and women. And then you look at all these races tightening, go through the list, you know. J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan is getting no money from the National Democrats. Tide. Oz and Fetterman you know about. Carrie Lake was supposed to be such an extreme character, you know, 25-year television anchor uh, in Arizona. She's now expected to win, and her Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs, won't even debate her. Maybe uh, Fetterman should have consulted her. Um, in any event, this is taking place. This is resurfaced because it was in a Tucker Carlson documentary for Fox Nation. On Blake Masters, who, by the way, if you don't recall, uh, when he got that nomination, he suddenly scrubbed his website of all his anti-abortion statements, including his support for a personhood amendment, and also of, you know, saying that the election was stolen, which ends up being the key thing here. So in this tape, and and you ha- hear the phone call. Um, Donald Trump is calling Blake Masters. I think it sounds like he's gonna come out for a rally for him the next day. And in the debate against Senator Mark Kelly, the Democrat and former astronaut, Masters said there was no evidence of the vote count being rigged in favor of Joe Biden in 2020. Well, Trump didn't like that, so he was calling to kind of give Masters a pep talk and how's it going? And he said, "You know what? I, I don't. There's one thing here. I don't think you were very good on the question of the 2020 election." And here's how he put it, and it brings up Carrie Lake. You know, I'm glad I mentioned her because she, obviously, another Republican candidate in the state of Arizona, and Trump says. If you want to get across the line, you need to be stronger on that one thing. A lot of complaints about it. Look at Carrie. And if they say, How is your family? She says, The election was rigged and stolen. You'll lose if you go soft. So that's the approach Donald Trump likes. How is your family? The election was stolen. What do you think about immigration? The election was stolen. Uh, what's your position on XYZ? You know, the election was rigged in 2020. That's what he wants. And here he is pressuring Blake Masters to do what Carrie Lake is already doing, which is use every opportunity to say the 2020 election was rigged. It's a fascinating bit of tape. And uh, we'll probably talk about it on Media Buzz on Sunday, along with about 10,000 other things. All right. Thank you for staying along for this ride, this roller coaster ride, as we're now down to less than two weeks before the midterms. Um, we still don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I think it's pretty safe prediction to say the House is going to be under Republican control. Never quite sure with the Senate with so many tight races, but if it looks like you know things are breaking in the Republicans direction, they might not only pick up one seat, which is all Mitch McConnell needs to become majority leader again. They might pick up several seats. That's certainly a possibility. Hey have a great day. Subscribe if you're not already a subscriber. I'd appreciate that. We'll see you tomorrow with more Buzz Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.